Thanks for checking out the Lakeshore Podcast. If this is your first time listening with us, we want you to know God loves you. We want for your hope in Jesus to be renewed and for your faith to come to life. Wherever you are joining us from, we hope this message encourages you. Um, when we step into the month of December, which is really weird that it's already December, we usually jump into a Christmas season series, but as a teaching team and talking and praying, we felt like uh, we wanted to continue on with what we believe God is saying for our church uh, as a whole across three campuses and also for this campus as well. And um, we're just believing and really actually in some ways seeing that the Lord is doing something. And I, and I think personally for me, it's more, I think it's a setup for next year. And so he's wanting to kind of get us... Um, thinking. He wants to get us stirred. He wants to kind of get us um, understanding really kind of what I believe 24 is going to, to kind of, we're going to kind of walk in. And um, a large part of that is about fortifying the walls of the church. Now, there's no holes. There's no holes in the church or anything like that as far as actual holes. But there are holes as a, as a whole, <laughs> In the church, when it comes to, to areas of ministry, when it comes to areas that, that possibly you have a gifting, you have an ability to step into, to be able to be a part of this community, because really our whole goal is so that we can invest properly, again, like I've said before, in the most precious thing there is. And what is that? It's people, right? Look around. It's us right here. Every single one of us is precious in God's sight. Every single one of us should be able to view each other, no matter what background, no matter what people look like, we should be able to view that and say, you know what, man, you are precious. You are precious to me because you are precious to my God. You are precious to my Savior. And then, you know what, not only that, then also, you know, we have people who are coming in to the church weekly that maybe don't have a community where they come and they can call home and they're coming in and they're checking it out. They're like, hey, okay, what's this church all about? You know, what's this pastor all about? So they're checking it out. But see, if we have holes, sometimes that doesn't necessarily um, give us a, a good foot forward, right? Because it's like, well, I don't know if I really want to come here because they don't really have that or they don't really have that. And this isn't all about um, volunteering or anything like that. But it, it, the heart of it is the fact of just wanting to get us to understand that every single one of us have a part to play when it comes to commun our community here, when it comes to the, the whole church. And really, I feel like God just wants to begin to prepare us to understand, to get ourselves ready for what God is wanting to do uh, with us. And so we're continuing on in this series called A Great Work where we've been talking about how the church is God's idea, that the church is created, it's his plan, and it's a significant part on the earth of what God's doing. And so in this, we've talked about that we need to um, engage, we need to take action, really by coming together as a church community and doing what is God's on, what's God's heart. How, how often have you ever prayed, God, what's your heart? What's on your heart today? Because a lot of times we're really good, and I fall into this category, telling God what's on my heart and what's going on and what's, what, hey, God, I need this. I need to, it, all these things. And man, I've been really, the Lord's really just been speaking to me, hey, ask me what's on my heart today. Maybe, maybe you can do it, what's on my heart today. And so just wanted to kind of throw that out there because I think sometimes we, we need to take a step back and just say, God, what's on your heart? What's on your heart for this community? What's on your heart for this campus? What's on your heart? And realizing, hey, you know what? He might say you have a part to play, which all of us do, because really, like I said before, this is a group project. We all have a part to play. We all have, an, have abilities and all have giftings and things like this in order to help build and establish his house, right? And this is his house. And I, and I mentioned this, and I didn't read the scripture last week, but I'm going to read it right now. It's in Matthew chapter 10, verse 24, because I said that there is no part that is too small um, to play in, in his great work. And, and there's this thing that Jesus said, 
And, and I was just like, oh, I got I to gotta say this. Because it was just, I guess, jumped in my heart. But it said, this is what Jesus said. And if, as my representatives, you give even a cup of cold water to a little child, you will surely be rewarded. See, nothing is too small in the kingdom of God. Whatever it is that you can contribute, whatever it is your gifting and ability is, I mean, who would have thought a cup of cold water to a child is something that Jesus looks at and goes, hey, I see you, right? I see, I, I, I see you. And then he goes around and then he says, you know what? Not only that, you're going to be rewarded for it because that's God's heart. In, in, in some scripture, it says the least of his followers. So people don't have to be someone on a pedestal or on, or on a stage or anything like that. It's every single one of us equal in each other's sight being able to say, hey, what do you need? You need a cup of cold water? Let me give it for you. Do you need, what, 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 what is, what's the need? What, what can I do? What can I do to help? And so whatever that is, we just have to understand that, you know what? Jesus said that if we would do these things for one another, because we are followers of him, then there is a reward. And we're going to kind of talk about that in a minute. But we have to understand, and we've talked about it again, this is kind of some of review, that you know what? The church is supposed to be a place of refuge, a place where people can come, like you and I, right? Where people can find safety, they can find security, they can find healing, they can find freedom, they can find growth and transformation, they can find love, acceptance, and forgiveness, all of those areas. That's what the church is for. So then, then people can then can discover who, who, who they're supposed to be in Christ. Right? Something Corey had said about, you know, just the enemy comes and he lies and he lies and he lies and he tells you all these things. But you know what? The more that you are in community with others, the more that you're in God's word, the more you begin to understand, I am not anything like what the enemy says I am because I am more like this. Yeah, my, I might be in transition. I might be getting better at, at those things. But man, I am nowhere, nowhere near what the enemy says I am because of who I am in Christ, because what Christ has done in my life. But see, that's us coming together as a community and saying, hey man, I'm I'm about you. It's not about me. I'm about us, about you. And so, We've, take, we've been looking at the book of Nehemiah. And we've discovered, you know, Nehemiah heard the report of how the walls were broken down and, and they were open to the attacks of the enemies. The, 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 the city was just kind of in shambles. And he goes and he begins to weep and he begins to mourn and he fasted and he prayed for the situation. And then when he did that, he began to have a burden. The Lord began to put a burden on his heart to rebuild the walls. And the reason why was so that God's people, right, and, and even God's ordained city would, could be safe. So that they can experience the, the security and, 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 and see their, their um, uh, community established again and walking in what God had called them to be and to do. And so he gets his burden, but then he just doesn't stop with the burden. Because sometimes we can see a burden in, in, a, in our church and go, man, that really needs to change. That really needs to be, ah, man, we need that, yeah. But then we do nothing about it. And see, Nehemiah just didn't stop there. That burden, then he began to take action. He began to take action and he, and he, and he began to rally the people together and start working on rebuilding the walls and even though they got some resistance, even though the mocking came in, the, um, the enemy came in to bring confusion and distractions, they stood their ground and they finished their work. And really, that's just the goal that we're talking about. As a church, that should be something that we're looking into. The, the fact that, you know what, what part do I play in building what God has called this community to be within this community? What has God, God called us to be? And Nehemiah didn't do the work by himself, did he? We read last week that he had people there. 
And they were working together, and some were building, some were holding swords in case the enemy tried to attack. But everybody was working together to do their part. And so today we look at the book of Haggai, because Haggai is, is, is smack dab in the middle of, of kind of the Ezra and Nehemiah books. Because if Ezra and Nehemiah, like we said before, are in the old, um, old Hebrew scriptures, are kind of one book. But then has, um, Haggai shows up because he's kind of one of the um, um, exile people that comes with the, with the group, and the Lord begins to give him a word for the people. And so somewhere, I think, in Ezra chapter 5, he, he, he has a word that he wants to deliver to the people because God, God wants to speak. And, that, and I think that's sometimes what we have to realize, that God does want to speak to us. He wants to reveal his heart to us. He wants us to understand what is on his heart, what is going on with him. But see, we have to open our ears to hear. We have to be able to listen clearly and distinctly. But see, Haggai, when he delivers this, he's talking about the fact that, hey, you know what? I want you guys to understand you're not experiencing the full blessing of what I have for you. Uh, you're, you're, not, you're not experiencing that. And so what we want to do today is kind of look at that from that perspective. And so our title today is Experience the Blessing. And um, let me define a blessed life for you, okay? So before we get into the text real quick. And we've we got to be careful that we don't look at it from a Western culture kind of view. Because when we hear that, a lot of times, you know, most people think, okay, that's riches, that's achievement, that's material gain, that's status. And for some, it might even think, oh, well, that's absence of problems. Everything is perfect. However, the Bible doesn't define blessing in that way. This, both, both the Hebrew and the Greek word simply means this, happy, full of joy, and satisf- satisfied. Nothing to do with the materialistic stuff. It's happy, full of joy, and satisfied. So that means that whenever the Bible talks about blessing, it's primarily referring to an internal condition, not an external thing. And and, and here's the deal. God, God is not against or opposed to the external things. He's really not. But biblically, a blessed life is one that is happy and fulfilled in spite of one's material circumstances. It's not excluding external things, but it's just not emphasized. God just doesn't emphasize it. And what we have to realize is that he's not opposed to us, us having stuff. He's not. But he's, he's opposed to stuff having us. When that becomes the thing, that becomes the most important thing to us. Because what happens is when, when that happens, our perspective then begins to change. Our priority, priorities kind of get clouded. And you know what? They just kind of become more detrimental to us. Detrimental to us and detrimental to the kingdom. Now, you might not say, how could that be detrimental? but detrimental in a way that, you know what, it begins to sometimes maybe even take us away from community, godly community, because we're more interested or more focused and our priority is more set on the stuff than it is actually the one who gives us the stuff. And so that's kind of what's going on here in Haggai. And so Haggai chapter one, we're going to read 11 verses. Okay, you guys good with that? All right, okay. Now it says, on August 29th of the second year of the king of Darius's reign, the Lord gave a message to the prophet Haggai, to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and Jus- oh, Man, my tongue is tied right now. Jus- yeah, anyways, son of um, Jehoz... Yeah, whatever. The high priest. I'm sorry. I get tongue-tied. I don't know what it is. I practice this. I really do. I promise. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies say. The people are saying, the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the Lord sent this message through the prophet Haggai. Why are you living in luxurious houses while my, houses, while my house lies in ruins? 
This is what the Lord of heaven's armies say. Look at what's happening to you. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but are not satisfied. You drink, but are still thirsty. You put on clothes, but cannot keep warm. Your wages disappear as though you are putting them in the pockets filled with holes. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies say. He's trying to get his point again across again. Look at what is happening to you. Now go up into the hills, bring down timber, and rebuild my house. Then I will take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. Verse 9, you hoped for rich harvests, but they were poor. And when you brought your harvest home, I blew it away. Why? Because my house lies in ruins, says the Lord of heaven's armies. While all of you are busy building your own fine houses, verse 10, it's because of you that the heavens withhold the dew and the earth produces no crops. I have called for a drought on your fields and, and hills and drought to wither the grain and grapes and olive trees and all of your other crops, a drought to starve you and your livestock and to ruin everything you have worked so hard to get. So that seems pretty heavy, doesn't it? It seems pretty, pretty, pretty heavy. But what had happened was is the fact that, you know what, the people stopped building the temple and became more concerned with building their own houses and building their own comfortable life for themselves. So God's from God's view, he's looking and saying, hey, you, you have spent more time, you have spent more time, more concerned about building your houses and building a comfortable life for yourself. And so to God, their hearts and their priorities were misplaced. Again, verse 2 through 4, it says this. This is what the Lord of heaven's army says. The people are saying the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Now notice how the people were the ones setting the timing. That doesn't work in God's kingdom. Because they're like, oh, well, you know what? Ah, we know it needs to be built, God. But, you know, seriously, it's just not time. It's almost like they over-spiritualized it. Have you ever had those times in your life where you just kind of over-spiritualize your non-response to God or to someone asking you to be engaged and involved in something? Oh, you know what? I am just so busy, and I just don't feel like God's put it on my heart to do it. Think about it. Sometimes we, we come up with these really great, we're going to bring God into the picture to give an answer to something that really God has never even said anything about. You've never really prayed about it. Or that's just your way of trying to get around it. Still love me? Okay, I just, just want to make sure. Okay? But we kind of do that sometimes. And then this is what the Lord said. Then the Lord sent this message through the prophet Haggai. Why are you living in luxurious homes while my house lies in ruin? Now, here's the deal. God didn't have a problem with where they, what they were living in. He, he, he really didn't. Okay? But his problem was the fact that they were living in comfort and luxury while his house was in ruins. Now, you would look at our, our building and, and our facility or whatever, and you go, well, man, it's not in ruins. What are you talking about? But there are areas that we've talked kind of talked about previously about there are just areas where, man, you know what? You have a gift and an ability to give to the community and you're not giving it. Whatever it looks like. Again, like I, last week or even what we just talked about, even if it's giving a cup to a cold water to a kid during kids ministry time. Man, you know what? God said, I'll, I'll reward you for that. You might think that's minor, but I'll reward you for that. You shaking hands or saying hi to someone or being nice to someone as a guest service person or even collecting an offering or doing whatever it is that you do. God said he'll reward you for that. But, it, but it's not a material a reward. It's an inner, inside reward. Something about doing something like that and you walk home and you're just like, man, that was good. That was a great Sunday. That was good. And the enemy, again, like we talked last week, might come and say, ah, you didn't do nothing. 
That was, you know, this. I, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I'm driving home and I feel like, you stink, Pastor Scott. That was terrible. That was brutal. But so I wrestle sometimes with that. But you know what? I have come to the conclusion that, you know, I'm not going to listen to that voice because what I'm trying to deliver is God's word. And I know that God's word doesn't return void. So man, it's, it's out there for you. And I'll let the Holy Spirit do his job. But see, that's the thing where we've got to understand that even when the enemy does come to try to discount what you contributed, no matter how big, no matter how small it is, we've got to be able to say, yep, nope, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. I'm giving my gift to the kingdom. I'm giving my gift to, to, to the local church. And so he wasn't mad about where they were living and how fancy their houses were or anything like that. He was just saying, hey, you know what? My house is in ruins. There's areas that need to be fixed. There are areas that need your involvement and engagement in. And then he says this two times in verses 5 and 7. He says, look at what's happening to you. Or in the New, New King James, it says, consider your ways. So to look at it in another way, it just basically means stop and think about what you are doing and how you are living. Is God a priority? Is God's house a priority? to you? Or is it just something that you come on a Sunday? Man, I got the gold star today. I went to church. It's good. Or is there something that you, you begin to say, you know what? Yeah, this, I, I don't know. I, I, I can do something, whatever, whatever, whatever that may be. Because we have to begin to look and say, okay, wait, so am I living with wrongly placed priorities that are out of order? <clears throat> Because that's what the people were doing. Their priorities were out of order. Again, we all need to work. We all need to live somewhere. I, I get all that. But, but hear what I'm saying. I'm not trying to say, uh, you know, what I'm trying to say is just for us to begin to be stirred to the point of saying, okay, man, I have spent so much time doing this. But man, when it comes to local church, when it comes to what God wants to do, this great work, man, where do I fall in the, in the, in the spectrum? And really, what it is, is if you took, took, took a ladder, right, and, and the top thing is like, hey, man, you're full in, whatever. But even if you are one person just doing the bottom rung of the ladder, praise Jesus. That's awesome because you're involved, you're engaged, you're doing whatever it is that you can do. And so... He tells him, hey, so this, this is what's, what's going on. Because you know what? Your actions and your priorities is to live in nicely built homes, to live kind of your own thing. And you know what? My temple is just kind of there to you. And then he goes through the result of what, what's going on here. He says, you have planted much, but harvest little. You eat, but are not satisfied. You drink, but are still thirsty. You put on clothes, but cannot keep warm. Your wages disappear as though they were putting them in pockets filled with holes. Right? You hope for rich harvests, but they were poor. And when you brought your harvest home, I blew it away. He says in verse 9, because my house lies in ruins. Okay? Again, this is talking Old Testament building, but in the same token... If you've got a local church community that you would call home, that means he's just saying, you know what? Hey, get involved somehow. Even if it is picking up square, what do you call those things? Yeah, gray rectangles. Even if it's that, right? He's just saying, you know what? Because you're not engaging in my house, then, you know, it's really hard for me to turn around and be able to, to bring those things that I need to bring to you. He says, because my house lies in ruins, ruins, while all of you are busy building your own fine houses. And then he goes on in 10 and 11 and says, because of you, 
that the heavens withhold the dew and the earth produces no crops or fruits. I have called for a drought on your fields and hills, a drought of wither, grain and grapes and olive trees and all other crops, a drought to starve you and your livestock and to ruin everything you have worked hard to get. So here he is, he's sharing with them the reason why they work hard and gather much and yet they still seem not to have enough. Because their priorities were on their house, their own lives, while leaving God's house in ruins. Now, you might think, "Uh uh-oh, so God's a God who comes and sabotages my life because I am not contributing to the church somehow? No, I'm not saying that at all. But the thing is, is God's held to a principle in in his word. And that principle is this in Galatians 6, 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. What's mocking? Laughing at maybe? Something like that? For whatever a man sows, that he shall also reap. He is held to the standard of his word. So this principle is very personal to God. So it's not God trying to sabotage these people's lives or even our lives in some way. But he's saying, hey, you know what? You're going to reap what you sow. Book of Haggai. Hey, people, you are going to reap what you sow. If you sow sparingly, you are going to what? Reap sparingly. And if you sow bountifully, you are going to reap bountifully. So what does that mean? So maybe it's sowing into local community, building relationships with others, where then God all of a sudden begins to to stir and start doing some things in our lives. Start doing some things. I remember way, way back when, when, man, I wrestled with whether I should be in ministry and I don't really know and all this stuff, whatever. But once I got involved... Cleaning toilets, of all things. Man, there was something about it that began to bless my life, that began to give me focus, began to give me kind of an idea of where to go, and really even more a love for people. And then turn that around too, where God began to bring blessing into my life. But see, it's because the fact is, you know what, I got my eyes off of me, and I got my eyes on Jesus and tried to follow what he was saying. Now, I'm not saying any of you are going to be called to full-time ministry. Maybe you are, praise God. But if you are not, what are some things, though, that God would lay on your heart to say, hey, you can be involved in that. You, you, man, absolutely you can be involved in that. Yet, sometimes we go, ah. So if we're just going to sow sparingly, then you know what? You're just going to reap sparingly. You'll just kind of probably walk through. Hey, I'm here on a Sunday. I leave. That's all good. Whatever. But see, God doesn't want you to do that. God's a God of, of bountiful harvest. And so what he's trying to say is, you know what? Don't be a, a sower who sows sparingly or not at all. But see, be someone who begins to say, okay, I'll take you at your word, God. I'll begin to sow whatever that looks like. If it's once a month, praise the Lord. But you know what? They were experiencing all of this because they weren't sowing anything into God's house. That's what he was trying to say. You're just not sowing anything, so how can I bless you? How can I give to you abundantly? How can I do this when you're not really thinking about how can I be a part to, to fix, to grow, to, to love the most precious gift, God's people, or people in general. So then he kind of tucked in verse 8. This is what he says. He says, now go, right? So what he's saying is, move, take action. He says, go up into the hills, bring down timber, and rebuild my house. Then I will take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. Which leads us to three, three points regarding God's view on blessing the blessed life. The first one is God is passionate about his house. 
God is passionate about his house. Not Pastor Scott is passionate about Katafa, about his house. It's God. He's compassionate about this house, about you people, about us as a community. He's passionate. But we got to realize that. We got to visualize that. We got to come kind of an understanding. Man, God is really passionate about what he wants to do here. But it can't just sometimes just hang on one person. It's all of us coming together and working together. So he's passionate about his people and he's passionate about his house, the local church, passionate about our community. Second Chronicles. Now, I know this is Old Testament. Anybody, well, this is what he says in the Old Testament, but we're going to read it anyways. It says, Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to prayer made in this place. So God's talking, and he's saying, you know, this is what is, is something you need to understand about the temple. He says, Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to prayer made in this place, for now I have chosen... And sanctified this house, set apart this house, that my name may be there forever. And my eyes, right? He's giving attention. And my heart, his concern will be there perpetually. Now, this is Old Testament, right? His house in the Old Testament was a place where they would come to worship. Sacrifices would be made. Prayers would be prayed. His house will always be his passion. It will always have his undivided attention. His eyes will be on it. His heart will continually be there. But here's the great thing about it. It does not change from Old Testament to New Testament. It's just where the house is. is a little different. Right? Because of the finished work of Jesus at the cross, and then you have the, the death and resurrection, There is no no longer a need for the Old Testament temple because the Holy Spirit lives in you, right? When When we come to him as believers, the Bible says that we are living stones that make up God's spiritual house. This is what 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 and 5 say. Coming to him as a living stone, that's Jesus, okay? He's the living stone. Rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. Verse 5. You also, say you also, as living stones, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So his house now is not brick and mortar like of old, Yes, we gather in this place. This is called a church. But instead, we are his dwelling place together. Each one of you has the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you. And whenever God's people gather corporately in a place, it becomes his house, his church. That's why you can have home churches, right? They're not meeting in this building. But you can have a home church because people are gathered. Holy Spirit lives in them and they can come and they can fellowship and they can talk about the word and you have a home church. Prayer can be done, all of those things. Because it's wherever we gather together makes up the church. So with the same passion and undivided attention that he gave to his Old Testament house, he now gives to us individually as his temple And then corporately, because we are the church. Guess what? He calls us his bride. And Christ views the church like a bridegroom views his bride. Right? He views his bride with a depth of love and commitment like no other. He loves each and every one of you. And when we gather together, we are part of the body of Christ. We are are part of the bride of Christ. When we gather together, Ephesians chapter 5, verse, verse 25. Here's this beautiful picture. It says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, the bride. Right? And so not only does he love the church and gave his life for her, but guess what? He's coming back for her. He's coming back for her. 
A church without spot or wrinkle. But see, he's just passionate about his church. He's passionate about his house. Which leads us to the second point, that God prioritizes his house. So he's passionate about his house, and now he prioritizes his house. Haggai, again, in verse 3 through 5, says, Then the Lord sent the message through the prophet Haggai, Why are you living in luxurious houses while my house lies in ruins? Look what look at what's excuse me, happening to you. So here we see God prioritizes his house by contrasting the people who care, care for their own house while leaving his house in ruin. And then Jesus in the New Testament emphasizes the building of his church. Again, not the physical building, but the gathering of God's people. And listen, he, he, he pursues that, he wants that. Now listen, above the personal passions and preferences of the individual. Right? We all have personal passions and our own personal preferences, right? But see, when God calls you to a local community, to a local church, sometimes you're not going to like everything. You're not. But if God's called you to that place, then you need to be engaged in that place. That's just what he's talking about. Jesus said, you know what, man? Let me read a couple of scriptures. Philippians chapter 2, 3 and 4. says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. So in a local community, in a, a church community, in our community, we need to begin to understand that we need to take interest in others. Right? Even if, you know what? I don't know how do you, uh, I don't know if I can get an example. But, but just, just the fact that, you know, when we, when we look at it and say, you know what? I'm putting my stuff aside and I'm going to do whatever I can to help invest into each other. Acts chapter 2, verse 45 through 46 is out of, uh, now this is talking about the um, uh, early church. It says, out of their generosity, they even sold their assets to distribute the, the proceeds to those who are in need among them. And then it says this, daily they met together in the temple courts and in one another's homes to celebrate communion. They shared meals together with joyful hearts and tender humility. So no matter what your, your, your personal passion is or even what your um, you know, kind of thing where you're just like, well, no, I want it this way, right? God's saying, you know what? What's, what's more important? Your personal things or your own way that you want things or is, is people more important? Is the body that you're called to more important? And I'm not saying like you give up everything and doing what you're doing and all that. I'm not saying that. But it's just coming to a realization that, you know what? If God's called me here, placed me here, he wants me here, then you know what? Sometimes I'm not going to agree with everything Pastor Scott says or does or whatever. Or, man, look at that shirt. Why is he wearing that shirt? Oh, man, he's wearing tennis shoes today. He's not wearing appropriate shoes. He's not wearing a suit. He's not. I'm just using myself as an example, of course. But it's not about that. It's about what has God, what house has God called you to? What, what places he called you to? And he wants you to engage and invest in that. And then in Romans chapter 12, it says, For I say through grace, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Right? Remember last week, no solos. We're members together, working together. And really, if you think about it, this is so countercultural to the way of living and thinking of this, this culture. You give way too much time to your church. You, 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 you're doing church again? You got something on a Friday night? 
You got prayer on Friday morning? Oh my God, why would you wake up and be there at 6.30 and pray? That's ridiculous. That's why you, why you need rest. But see, that, that's where it's like, well, no, no, no. I'm part of a family here. And I, I, I've got to work and, and be able to do my part. But see, this countercultural way of living, they don't understand that really this is kingdom way. This is kingdom thinking. This is kingdom way of living. Right? Going back to that, that portion in Acts. Man, these people were just engaged. Hey, come over to our house. Let's have communion together. Let's fellowship together. Let's do this together. Let's, you know, whatever. They were engaging with one another because they were, what? Knitted together. Because they recognized, hey, we're part of a group. We're part of a gang. We're part of whatever you want to call us. But man, we are doing this together. And then finally, God... God blesses those who passionately prioritize his house. God blesses those who passionately prioritize his house. Now remember, we're not saying God will curse our lives if we don't do this, if we don't prioritize his house. That's not him. But he does, again, going back to sowing and reaping, right? When we begin to prioritize his house, okay, and let me just say this too, okay? Now, it could be in, in a sense of what you're able to give physically in a sense of, um, hey, I can do this or I can do that or I can help here or I can volunteer here or do whatever. There's that. And then there's also just even the fact of giving financially into the house. But see, mix them all together, but the principle remains true. Whatever you sow, you shall reap, okay? And so this is, again... Um, Galatians 3.13 says this, okay? Because he's not saying I'll curse you for it if you don't prioritize my house. And and this is how kind of we can base that off of. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ purchased our freedom and redeemed us from the curse of the law and its condemnation by becoming a curse for us. So Jesus became a curse for us so that the curse of the law no longer lives on your life. So that means we are not subject to the curse of the law, but we are still eligible for the blessings of the law. Praise God for that. Right? If you go back to the Old Testament and you look through and go, okay, what are the blessings of the law? We're eligible for that because of what Christ has done for us. So here we can, we can reap the benefits and blessings of obedience because that's really what it's about. Right? But again, it's that sowing and reaping thing. Acts chapter 10, verse 34 through 35 says this. Peter said, Now I know for certain that God doesn't show favoritism with people, but treats everyone on the same basis. See, what we think is God has his favorites. Because look at their life. Look how, look how, oh, smooth. Oh, look at, man, oh, yeah, oh, God has his favorites. And God, I am not one of them. Wrong. He, he looks at each of us and goes, man, you're my kid. I want to give you everything I can. But it goes back again to the principle, what am I sowing? If I'm not sowing into God's kingdom in some way, shape, or form, then I'm not reaping anything from God's kingdom. So the person you might say, oh, well, they're God's favorite, might be because they're actually sowing and reaping. They're actually sowing. They're actually doing something. And then God turns around and goes, well, I can bless that. You just gave a cup of cold water to a kid. Boom, you're going to reap something. And it's going to be good. It's not going to be bad. It's going to be good. But see, we have to understand that God doesn't show, doesn't play favoritism with anybody. There is no God's favorite. And then he says, it makes no difference what race of people one belongs to. If they show deep reverence for God and are committed to doing what's right, they are acceptable before him. So God's not a respecter of person, but he is a respecter of sowing and reaping. So think about it. Are you reaping like God wants you to? Don't, don't raise your hands, don't say anything. But are you reaping to the level that, 
that God wants to, to be able to bless you. Because if, if you're sowing into God's house with whatever that looks like, whatever that means, then you know what? God wants to bless you. But if you're not experiencing that, then something might need to change. There might mean to be a shift in your priority, maybe even just getting back to basics. And here, here's the basic, Matthew 6.33. You can come on up, Adam. It says, but seek first. I'll stop right there for a second. But seek first the kingdom of God. Okay, well, let's stop there for a second. See, when we get so engaged and involved, like going back to our Haggai story, these people were seeking first their, their homes, their way of living, the things that they felt were so important, not that, that they could need, didn't need a house or not that they didn't have a job or anything like that. But what I'm saying is there, there was a priority shift when it became all about them and building their life, when it didn't become anything about God and building what God needed, God wanted. Right? So then the scripture just takes us back. It says, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's just, you know, hey, I'm doing what God wants me to do. I'm living in a way that pleases God. He says, and then what does it say? All these things, whatever these things are, whatever is on your heart, whatever things you may need, it says all these things shall be added to them? No, to you. Right? So in, in this story, Haggai is trying to say, hey, God, God's trying to get your attention because if you would just seek God first and go after what God's putting, laying on your heart and, and, and what needs to be done in the kingdom of God, then you know what? Everything else you're going to need, whatever it is for your life, whatever it is for your own home, whatever those things are, then you know what? I'll make sure it's taken care of. I can't tell you, there, there's numerous stories where, man, there have been times when, you know what, it's, it's been about the fact that, you know what, we're going we're gonna to do this, we're moving forward in this for God's kingdom, and then God in turn comes around and blesses us. Just because we're following what God's saying. It's not like we're anything spectacular, but that's just who God is. That's what he, what he, what he promises. Let me give you one last scripture. trying to figure out which one I want to give you. I got two more. But I'm trying to wrap it up. Land the plane. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 10. It says, For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love which you have shown toward His name and that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. So, (laughs) what are you doing to minister to the saints? And saints start at babies all the way up to the person who is still alive at 99 or 100. That's that's, that's kind of the challenge. What, what, What are you doing? to minister. And man, minister doesn't mean you might have to be in their face and you're just slamming God's word in their face. Again, it could be just a cup of cold water. Hey, this is for you. Oh, well, thanks. And that's ministry. Simple sometimes, but we make it so complicated that it's not supposed to be. It's supposed to just come out of our devotion to Him. Right? I, I'm just devoted to Him. I've got, man, there's just this devotion. And man, it just comes out of me because of my relationship and because I know who God is in my life. And, it, and it's simple. And if you don't know an answer to a question, maybe you're caught in that, just say, I don't know. There's nothing wrong with that. But I'll find out for you. And then you go to try to find out. So experiencing the blessed life is not becoming a millionaire, okay? 
achieving greatness in the eyes of the world or becoming famous or, or never having any issues or problems, but instead experiencing the blessing um, like, that life God intends for you to have is experiencing eternally joy, peace, fulfillment, contentment, having your needs met, recognizing that God's hands on my life, Because my priority is him first. That's the blessed life. When, when your priority is him first, man, all those things, all those gaps begin to be filled. All those things, it doesn't happen instantly sometimes. But man, all of a sudden you'll start to experience, man, I've got such a joy in my heart today and I have absolutely no idea. Well, maybe it was because you put him first. Right? So the challenge is, where's the priority in our hearts? Where's the priority within in us to say, you know what? I'm willing to prioritize God first, me second, in order that I can be engaged and involved in a great work that God has for me individually, and for us corporately as a community. Because we have to recognize God wants to send more people here. I am 100% convinced of that. You will not talk me out of that. But see, sometimes God will not give you what you can't handle. And if the holes in the walls and the areas that maybe man are just scraping by with what we have. God's not, God's not going to send more than, than we can handle. And in, in no way, shape, or form do I ever want this house to be an embarrassment to God. But see, it's us. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for more messages. If you like what you're hearing, share it with your friends. For more content from Lakeshore and information on services, check us out at lakeshorecf.com.